Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning. I hope we all drink our uh, big cups of coffee this morning, yes? Okay, we'll find out. I want to take a deep dive with us this morning. You should have seen the 8 o'clock crowd this morning. I was like, we're going deep. They're like, oh gosh. <laughs> I do though. I want to take a deep dive with, this, with us this morning on uh, some of the themes that really emerge out of these scriptures. So before I get to the homily per se, I just want to draw, like spotlight, a few different lines from the, the scriptures that the church gives us this weekend to try and I don't know, begin to show some of the themes that have emerged. So the first reading from the prophet Isaiah, we hear about the snow and the rain watering the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, right? This rich symbol of the efficacious power of God's word that goes forth from his mouth, affecting reality as a symbol of the potency of God's word, right? It goes forth from his mouth and has this life-giving, fruitful effect. And the psalm that we just sang, the response was the seed that falls on good ground will yield a fruitful harvest. So again, the themes of seed, fruitfulness, fertility, soil, and all the imagery, in fact, of Psalm 65 that, you, that we prayed, it's all agricultural imagery, seed and soil and water and soil, uh, I said soil, but fruitfulness and fertility and harvest, all of that. The second reading that we have from Paul to the Romans we hear Paul describing how all of creation is subject to sin and all of creation is groaning, awaiting redemption. And he uses this interesting analogy, right? He says that it groans like a woman in labor pains. So again, the themes of the images of labor and birth, fruitfulness, all of those things. And then the gospel the deacon just proclaimed. We hear about this sower who is going forth to sow seed and he's sowing recklessly, right? He's not carefully planting, but he's just sowing recklessly. And he's, some seed falls on the path, some seed falls among the thorns, some seed falls on shallow, rocky ground. But then he says, some seed falls on fertile soil, good, rich soil. And there's an abundant harvest that comes up. So, let me just ask. Do you think that all of that theme, that all those thematic images, fertility, seed, soil, think it's just a coincidence? Yes or no? No. Okay, just want to make sure we're paying attention. No, no, of course not. It's not a coincidence. Like this whole realm, this whole reality of fertility and life, this, the imagery, the, the concepts of life-giving seed and receptive fertile soil, all of it is this like one glorious parable that God, the creator, wrote into creation to point to and reveal something so profound. And if it's true of all of creation, if it's true of the seed and the soil and the sower and all of those things, it's super eminently true, abundantly true, even more true about human fertility, right? All of creation's fertility is summed up and given voice through human fertility, if you will. Like the church fathers would talk about the human person as the voice box, the mouthpiece of all of creation. This whole idea, this whole idea 
of fertility is so significant. You've heard me preach this before, but there is a battle, an ancient battle that's being waged against our humanity. And the devil, he hates our humanity and he hates our bodies in particular. Right before he was the devil, he was Lucifer, a bright, beautiful angel who fell out of envy because he gazed upon the plan that God had for us, that God was going to make these creatures who were this hybrid of heaven and earth, and that in the fullness of time that God would actually become one of these creatures. And these creatures would have this capacity for bodily union that they were going to be able to cooperate and co-create with the Lord and giver of life himself. And out of envy for all of that, the enemy falls and goes to war against us. He hates our bodies. And in particular, he hates those parts of our bodies that reveal our masculinity and femininity. He hates our capacity for life-giving union, which means he hates, hates our fertility. And so with every ounce of his hellish fury, he's been seeking to warp our understanding of our bodies and of our fertility. And he's been doing it with great success, inviting us to see our fertility as, an, as a burden to be overcome through some technological means rather than a gift to be cherished. This is why, this is why St. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, right, Ephesians chapter 5, he unfolds what he calls the great mystery, right? In Greek, it's musterion mega, which sounds way cooler, right? Musterion mega, coming to theaters this summer, right? The great mystery, Paul saw that, that what God did in the beginning, when he made our humanity, male and female, from the beginning, he made that reality to be a sign, an icon, that was pointing to the reality of Christ's relationship to the church, right? God's relationship to humanity. In other words, God has married these two marriages, Christ the bridegroom to the church and man and woman to each other. He's unfolding this in Ephesians 5 saying, this is the heart of it. Like this is, if you want to understand Christianity, this is the heart of it. And then right after Ephesians 5 comes Ephesians chapter 6. I know, that's a shocker. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, if you're going to live Ephesians 5, get ready for battle. Ephesians 6 is all about putting on the armor of God, right? So after he unfolds the great mystery, he says, okay, now get ready for war. And the very first piece of armor, he says, to put on, he says, gird your loins in the truth. Now, I'm going to keep this homily as PG as possible, but y'all know what your loins are? Yes? Don't make me explain it. Give me some of this. Okay, good. Gird your loins in the truth. Gird your loins in the truth. Surround those parts of your bodies in the truth. And the problem is we've been living in a world that's been trying really hard to gird everybody's loins in lies for the better part of 60 years, especially, especially since the advent of the birth control pill. So what I want to do is I want to make us all very uncomfortable. Just kidding. No, what I want to do is... I want to talk briefly about this because next week is the 55th anniversary of uh, Pope Paul VI, Pope St. Paul VI, landmark encyclical, Humanae Vitae, which is arguably the most rejected and vilified and uh, misunderstood document that the church has ever released, Humanae Vitae, on human life, which he released in 1968, in which he upholds the church's traditional teaching um, on contraception. And 
So I want to talk about that and also through this to entice you to come to an event that we're having here at the parish next Friday evening, the 21st, beginning at 6.30. Gina Haas, who is here somewhere. Where are you, Gina? There's Gina. Gina and I are teaming up to give, to do an event talking about contraception and natural family planning. The church is teaching on these things. Um, I'm doing the theology. She's doing the practical. You probably could have guessed that part. Um, That was funny, people. That was funny. But next Friday, we're talking about this event. And here's the thing. If you, if you love what I'm already talking about, great. Come and be bolstered. If you're already uncomfortable and hate where I'm going, please come as well. And keep your mind open this morning as I go into this. Just because, like, it's fine to wrestle with church teaching. It really is. If no one's told you that, I'm sorry. But it's, it's okay. It's okay to wrestle with church teaching. What's not okay is to wrestle with a straw man. Don't wrestle with the false thing, right? Fulton Sheen, he once said, There aren't 10 people in the world who hate the Catholic Church. He said there are millions of people in the world who hate what they think the Catholic Church is and what they think the Catholic Church teaches. So, don't wrestle with the strong man. So let's start here. Let's start with this. Why would God care about your fertility as an individual, as a couple, Why does God, why does the church care whether or not you're open to life or using some type of technical means to try and shut down that possibility? Very simply, I'll put it this way, that our human fertility, our capacity to be generative, it's an icon, a sign of the superabundant fertility of God. Like his divine life. Like God who desires to put his divine life into us. To grow in us the kind of life that is heavenly life. To give us not just merely human life, but divine life, right? The whole story of Christianity is God desiring to, so to speak, impregnate our hearts with the life of heaven. For that to grow in us to full stature. He cares about your fertility because he cares about you. And before, listen, before I say another word about this, I know that perhaps there are some of us in in mass this morning who either are carrying or have carried in the past the brutal cross of infertility. And I just want to say a word to you because I've walked with couples who've carried this cross. And not from the inside, but I can just speak from the outside. I have seen how hard this is. And if this is you, this you. You are not being judged or condemned or found unworthy by the Father. He doesn't think you're unworthy. He, he recognizes and knows every contour of every desire of your heart, and you've not been forgotten. He knows you. Like anybody, who, who's, anybody carrying the cross of infertility is a witness to the incredible value and gift of fertility. Like fertility is... It's everywhere and always in the scriptures. It is a good. It is a blessing. Yes, of course, it can often be accompanied by trial and burden and suffering, but fertility is a good. It is a good. In fact, God's very first blessing comes down upon humanity in Genesis 1 where he says to the couple, Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply. He wasn't telling them grow bananas and do math problems. He was blessing from the beginning our fertility because our human potency is a sign of God's omnipotency, right? That's the only word that we have adjective-wise that we describe God in the creed. We say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, 
omnipotente in the Latin, all potent. He's all potent, super abundant potency, super abundant power and life-giving love. This is who we believe in, right? So to understand this even more fully, to, we have to kind of zoom out and kind of take a step back and go all the way back in some ways to Genesis, to our creation, because the mystery of our creation is male and female from the beginning, and the call of the two to become one flesh, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, it is meant by God to be from the beginning a sign, an icon in the visible realm of creation of the kind of love, the kind of relationship he wants with the church. He created them male and female in their marriage to reveal the kind of union he wants with humanity. Right? When God made an image of himself in creation, he didn't just make a man, he didn't just make a woman, he made a couple, right? Whose bodies and souls are ordered towards each other in life-giving union. In life-giving union. To be an image on earth of God who is a trinity of life-giving union. You see how this works, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, endless exchange of life and love makes an image of himself where you have a couple whose love can be turned into life. And he's, like I said, he's carved his, the mystery of his Trinitarian identity into our very bodies. Into our very bodies. Like in this rubric, God is the bridegroom always, the giver of the gift of creation, the giver of the gift of redemption, salvation. Think about Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit, who we say in the Creed, is the Lord and giver of? The Lord and giver of? Life. Right? The Holy Spirit is poured forth out of the heart of the Father into creation. And who is humanity? But the bride who opens to receive this gift from the Lord. Right? This is why there's a man on the cross and a woman, Mary, at the foot of the cross. He's giving the gift. She who stands for all of humanity is there receiving the gift. Like woman, my dear sisters, the woman you are the crown jewel of creation. You are the, the archetype of all of humanity because all of us, men included, and this is another homily for another day, but men included, we are all called to enter into this posture of bridal receptivity before the gift that comes from the Lord. Openness to receive the gift of love and to bear it forth. Right? And now think back into Genesis. Humanity originally settled in a garden, not a desert, a garden filled with flowers and plants and life and insects and it's, it's soil and seed and everything around them is a sign of fertility and life. Like when the birds are chirping and the, and the crickets are singing in the night and the bullfrogs are croaking and the the flowers are blooming and all that pollen starts wafting and the lightning bugs are flashing up in the night what is it all about it's all about fertility it's all about life that's what they're all doing like what are the fireflies those are those are mating signals like that's kind of weird june bugs that's what they're doing that's what the crickets are singing about. That's what the bullfrogs are croaking about. Everything in creation is singing this song of life-givingness. Why? Because we have a God who is endless life, endless love. 
Do you think that his creation would reveal the heart of the creator? Absolutely. Absolutely. And humanity, the man and the woman, they are the most eloquent sign of this aspect of God's heart because only we have free will. Only we can freely enter into this dance. The crickets don't really know what they're doing when they're chirping. The lightning bugs aren't really thinking about what they're doing. They're just doing what nature has programmed them to do. But we, because of our free will, we can enter into this dance. We can also sing the Song of Songs with the heart of the Father. But here's the problem. Ever since sin entered the world, we've been tempted, we've been bent in this direction of selfishness. We have this proclivity towards selfishness and we've been seeking since the dawn of time, really, in endlessly creative ways to sever what God has joined together, right? God has joined together the unitive and the procreative. He's joined these aspects together. And through all sorts of technological advances, it's, we've made it seem possible that we can reinvent or reimagine our humanity and master and gain control over those dimensions of our bodies that are life-giving. And since around the 1960s, couples have been, like I said, girding their loins in the lie, or I could say believing the lie, that it's good and praiseworthy and better to separate the unitive from the procreative, the bonding from the babies. And this has had disastrous effects in the heart of humanity for for marriages, for women in particular, for society, for families, for all of creation. And it has warped our understanding of these mysteries drastically. Because the call to communion is the greatest sign that God has made to reveal his heart for us, his intentions towards us. He's, he's been saying since the beginning, I desire to hold nothing back from you. I desire to pour everything that I am into every ounce of your humanity to flood you with holy joy. What does Jesus say? I come that my joy may be in you and your joy may complete. I come that you might have life in you and life to the full. This is what he's talking about. And this earthly sign of marital communion is a sign of holy communion that happens every single day, every single Sunday at Mass, where the bride, bride, processes forward down the aisle to meet whom? Her bridegroom, Jesus, who's holding on to nothing. He gives everything he has. Jesus doesn't contracept his heart. Nothing is withheld. He gives everything. And this Holy Communion is a pledge and foretaste of the eternal supper of the Lamb, the Holy Communion of the beatific vision and the communion of saints. So friends, this matters. <laughs> this matters. This is what the enemy is aiming his, hell, his hellish fury at. This. In the 1950s, we created an atom bomb. We split something that God joined together with disastrous effects. 
through our technological advances, especially in the 1960s, we split something else that was supposed to go together, the unitive and the procreative. We dropped an atom bomb on ourselves and our own culture, and the effects have been awful. So if you are wrestling with this individually or within your marriage, if you are struggling with this teaching, if you can't wrap your head around it, or if you're someone who's on board and you just want further information, I just, again, want to invite you to register for this event we're doing next Friday. Just go to the parish website, scroll down a little bit, and you'll see a link right there to register. I want to invite you to come and learn. (laughs) Come and be filled. I want to invite us to not be like the soil that Jesus talks about. Like, may we be that rich, fertile soil where his life and love and mercy and goodness and glory, that it goes forth from his heart and it's received deeply in our hearts. He's holding on to nothing. He's given you everything. So may we be open to it.